Well, again, I'm thankful that you're here this morning, uh, and I um, hope that um, you have already been encouraged and will continue to be as we worship together this morning and, and now moving into our time in God's Word. I want to make one clarification, maybe one note um, that I didn't elaborate on a second ago. You might notice in the bulletin, uh, in addition to some classes that are happening down in the fellowship hall that Jason Davis and Joe Dare are teaching, one upstairs in 301 that Nathan Fierce is teaching, uh, there is a class down here at the bottom of the ramp in the room that we haven't renamed yet, so we're calling it the old library. It's not a library anymore, but um, we have, Chris has started a, a class for young adults, college-aged uh, folks that are in, in the kind of the 18 to 25-year-old range, and what we've recognized is we have a number of our people who have graduated in recent years and maybe didn't move off and are still living in the area, and we want to start providing something for them, and so uh, if you know of people in that age group uh, that would benefit from that class, we hope to make it kind of an ongoing thing that we have, that we offer. And so be aware of that and let them know about that. Ask Chris if you have any questions about that. And also this morning, uh, we're having just, this is the last Sunday for our starting point class, uh, which is a class we started before covid as a way to try to uh, give people a kind of an overview of our church family, who we are, what we're about, where we're trying, to, what we're trying to do, who we're trying to be as the body of Christ that got, we feel like God has called us to be here, uh, and so we, we started to offer that. It's mostly for new members or for people who have been visiting, or maybe you're visiting this morning and you're like, I'd like to know a little bit more about this church, kind of do a little bit deeper dive about uh, Kaufman Church of Christ, and so that'd be a great place for you to come and join. I'll be teaching that class. If you've been around a while and you're like, I don't even know what our mission and vision are, I don't know who, who the missionaries are that we support, uh, you can come to that and you might learn some things about our church family that you don't know. So just a little more information about that um, that we want you to be aware of. Also, I want you to be sure and be here next Sunday during our worship time. We're going to honor and recognize Suzanne Brown uh, who has made the decision to transition and retire out of her role as children's minister. And so we have a couple of things planned that we're going to do during the service to embarrass her uh, and to bring her up here on the stage, no, to tell some stories and to celebrate the job that she's done. And so pl please be aware of that uh, and plan to be here next week. Also, one more thing. I want to um, introduce to you Joshua and Caitlin Hardaway. Where are you guys sitting at right here? If we all stand really quickly and let, let us recognize, Joshua and Caitlin are, want to be recognized as new members this morning. <clears throat> and uh, I'm going to ask the rest of you to stand. We're going to pray and some of you can surround them. As you're, some of you are doing that, I'll let you know that uh, they've been visiting for a while uh, and, and came up to me last week and said, we want to be a part of this church family and that's always a great thing. And our tradition is that we surround uh, people who are a new part of this church family and pray a blessing over them. And so um, we want to do that this morning. Uh, Joshua's in the process of finishing up some schooling and uh, until it's, so he can get ready for to do what God has ahead of him. And Caitlin is a teacher at Norman Middle School here in Kaufman. She's a teacher and a coach uh, here in Kaufman. And so we're excited to have you guys and uh, look forward to the ways that God will bless our church family through, through y'all. So let's pray for the Hardaways and let's pray for our time in God's word together as we start this morning. <clears throat> Father, we're thankful uh, for all that you're doing in the life of our church family. We're thankful to get to be here together this morning and to open your word together and to learn from it, to have our hearts challenged, our minds challenged uh, and also encouraged as we think about how to be your people 
uh, in the world that we live in. And uh, we ask God this morning that you'll give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you want us to hear and see as we study scripture together. We also want to come this morning thankful for Joshua and Caitlin and for their desire to be a part of this church family, and we pray that we will be for them what they need to be an encouragement to them in their marriage, in their journey of faith. And Father, we look forward to the ways that you'll use them uh, to continue to advance your kingdom here on earth uh, as a part of this church family. As our hands are up upon them this morning, we pray that they will know that they have uh, a spiritual family, a chosen family that they uh, can journey with and live life with and share community with. Uh, we're grateful for the beauty of the church that you have uh, established and created, that you uh, put us into, Father, that you draw us into, not only here with this congregation, but uh, with Christians around the world, that we are a part of this kingdom that is so big and expansive and multicultural and always growing. Father, we are honored and privileged and humbled to be a part of that beautiful kingdom. And we pray uh, in the name of Christ, our King, this morning, and the church said... Amen. Thank you guys so much. <clears throat> As you're finding your seat, you might want to be turning to Daniel chapter 5. We're going to be there this morning. It'll also be up here on the screens. I'm going to apologize in advance. If my voice cracks, uh, it's allergies. I don't think I'm going back through puberty, but it's kind of been kind of rough this week. And so I'll apologize in advance. Uh, hopefully, I'm glad I have a voice because Friday I didn't have much of one. So I'm grateful to get to preach today. Uh, I want to remind us really quickly as we, before we jump into Daniel 5 that the, the, the book of Daniel in Daniel chapter 1 started by telling us uh, that this mighty nation Babylon went to conquer this small nation Israel and it took Babylon, took some of the people from Israel away from their nation and carried them off. They were exiles and they were now living in the nation of Babylon. And what we've seen over the last month through this study is that Daniel, really the book of Daniel, I think was written as a way to help Jews know how to live in Babylon as the people and still remain the people of God. How do you live in a pagan empire and also still serve Yahweh? And so that's sort of the question that sort of runs through the book of Daniel. How can you be a part of the empire and remain faithful to God. And then I've suggested in a number of different ways over the last couple of weeks, some in some very clear, specific ways, maybe some in some more subtle ways, that I think this is our question too. How can we remain God's people in an empire that is not always helping us be God's people? Now, if you weren't living in your homeland because you had been dragged off by a king who conquered your nation, it would be easy to think that the goal would to just be to get back to your homeland as quickly as possible, right? If you, if you think about it, if you lived in a place that was conquered by another nation and you fleed or you were taken away back to the conquering nation, it would be easy to live your life thinking your primary goal was to get back to your homeland as quickly as possible. But what we've seen in the book of Daniel is that that's not God's desire for the Israelites. He, he actually wants them to stay in Babylon and be faithful to him while they live in a place that's not their homeland. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah was alive during the time when Israel had been carried off to Babylon. And he wrote to the exiles, and this is what he said. It's really interesting. He said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
So that's all these people that, with Dan, people like Daniel that were carried off. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, Babylon. Do not decrease. Next slide. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Jeremiah is saying, while you are in Babylon, you build houses and you raise families and you have kids and you make a life there. You seek the good of the place where you are, where you find yourselves, because if it prospers, then you will prosper as well. I don't know if you've ever spent any time thinking about where you live and why you live there. But there's a verse in the book of Acts in the New Testament that has always fascinated me. It says this, Paul says this in Acts 17. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, He himself, God himself, gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. Paul is reminding the early Christians that God is over all of it. Like, you are where you live, and you live at this point in history, which are gifts, Right? You live at this place and at this particular time in history, which are both gifts. You get to be alive at the same time as all of these other people in this room, as all the other people in your life. You get to be alive at the same time as them. And so seek the good of the places where you find yourselves. And remember that it is because of God that you ha- even have breath and have life, is what Paul's saying. So... I want us to keep that in mind as we go back to Daniel chapter 5 because the problem, I think, in Daniel chapter 5 is that Israel, and maybe our problem too, Israel got too good at living in Babylon. You know what I'm saying? They, they, They heard the word from Jeremiah, plant gardens and build houses and raise families and seek the good of the city, but they almost became too good at it, too comfortable And so other Old Testament prophets had to say, wait, wait just a second, Israel. Don't get too comfortable. Remember that you are still Jews. You follow God. You made a covenant with God. So you have to be a part of the culture, but be apart from the culture. You have to be a part of the empire, but be apart from the empire, which is a tricky thing to navigate. It was then, and it still is a tricky thing to navigate. And that is really what Daniel is about, but... Also specifically, Daniel 5. Now, I mentioned also last week that the timeline in Daniel, the chapters, don't follow a strict timeline. So you see Daniel 4 and Daniel 5, where we're going to read today, a lot of time has passed when we pick up in Daniel chapter 5. When you ended chapter 4 last week, we were reading about the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. Really, we read about King Nebuchadnezzar the first four chapters of the book of Daniel. 
His heart had seemed to turn to God at the end of Daniel chapter 4, if you go back and look there and be reminded about what we've studied. But today in Daniel chapter 5, with no real explanation at all, we have a new king. King Nebuchadnezzar has died. And Nebuchadnezzar's successor, his son, some scholars argued it might be his grandson, but nevertheless, someone in his family line, we're going to say his son was a new guy, a king named Belshazzar. And so it's interesting to me, I didn't plan this series out, I didn't know Queen Elizabeth was going to die, but in real life this week, you saw a, a, you know, a monarch die and her son take over the, the throne. And we hope that it goes better for that king than it does for this king. Because when we pick up in Daniel chapter 5, the Persian army, this is a little context that you don't see, but it's happening and you'll see it at the end, the Persian army is right outside the gates of Babylon. Remember I told you in week one, if you were here, that the city of Babylon was probably, at that point in history, the, the largest city on the planet. The largest, you know, it was like probably 200,000 people that lived in this area, and there was huge walls that surrounded the city. And so at the beginning of Daniel 5, a new king is in charge, and the, the nation of Persia is camped outside the walls of Babylon. Babel, Persia wants to defeat Babylon, and they do it by essentially cutting off they're the Babylonians from the outside world. But because Babylon was so advanced technologically, and they were living in a time, I mean, they had you know, figured things out that other nations hadn't quite figured out yet, they were pretty self-sufficient. And so life could kind of just go on as usual because they had these really huge walls, and they weren't afraid of other nations because they had been conquering nations for years. And so they go on life as usual and we pick up in Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, and we'll see what they are doing while Persia waits outside the gates. This is what it says in Daniel 5, beginning in verse 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, of iron, of wood and stone. So Belshazzar is ruling. We're going to stop there for just a minute and kind of explain what's going on. He has this great idea. He says, you know what? I'm the most powerful person in the world. Let's throw a party. So he does. And this isn't just a party for anybody. This is sort of the elite class of the Babylonian society, the social elites, his nobles, his wives, his concubines. His inner circle is all there. And the wine is flowing, we learn. And everybody is happy, we learn. And Belshazzar has another idea. He tells one of his servants Go get those gold and silver cups, you know, the ones that were taken when my father Nebuchadnezzar went with the Babylonian army and conquered Israel and ransacked Jerusalem and took all of the things from their, the temple of their God and brought them back to our nation, Babylon. Go get those and we'll, we'll drink from those. It'll, it'll make our party even better. And so Belshazzar's yes man goes to, 
find these goblets and fills them with wine. And, and the king says, let's raise a goblet to the God of gold and silver and bronze and wood and iron and stone. And so they took these sacred items from God's temple in Jerusalem. And they used them in drunken, idolatrous worship of false gods. The problem with this is that it's an act of disrespect to Yahweh. And while they are doing this, obliviously enjoying themselves, this is what happens next. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The party is interrupted. The music stops. Everybody gets quiet as they look over at the wall and something like a human hand writes on this this mysterious message on the wall. Belshazzar's face gets pale. His legs get weak. His knees are knocking, a detail that I love that they include. So he calls his enchanters, his astrologers, his fortune tellers. This is the same group, if you've been here in other weeks, that his father Nebuchadnezzar leaned on pretty heavily, a group that I have referred to as the Babylonian Intelligence Agency, something like maybe our CIA. It's his group of people who he receives counsel from in the midst of difficult decisions that need to be made. And Belshazzar says to them, whoever can read this message on the wall and tell me what it means, I will give them royal clothing, I will put a gold chain around their neck, and I will make them the third most powerful person in the nation. But they can't do anything. They don't even know what's going on. They can't read the message. And and I have to just say here, this has to be one of the worst intelligence agencies of all time. If you're following the story that we've been looking at, they, they are completely, they, they are no help at any point during Nebuchadnezzar's reign or now during his son Belshazzar's reign. So Belshazzar is, becomes even more frightened because now his, his intelligence agency can't help him. So just then at that point, the queen mother, Belshazzar's mom, comes into the room and she reminds Belshazzar that there is someone in our kingdom that is filled with with a spirit that is different. She tells Belshazzar that his dad relied on this man, Daniel, who is older now. She tells about how Daniel helped Nebuchadnezzar during his reign as king, and so Daniel is called in. And Belshazzar says, I've asked my intelligence agency, and they're no help, but I hear that you have insight and intelligence and wisdom that's unlike anybody else. I've heard that you can interpret dreams, and solve difficult problems. If you can tell me what that writing on the wall over there means, I will give you royal clothing. I will, make, I will put a gold chain around your neck, and I will make you the third most powerful ruler in the kingdom. And this is Daniel's response, picking up in verse 17. Then the, Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. I also love that line. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position that God gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. 
Those he wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled, which is just a poetic way of saying he could do whatever he wanted because he's the most powerful guy on the planet. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. This is what we talked about last week in Daniel 4. He lived with the wild donkeys. He lost his mind and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and does set over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You have the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and concubines, drank wine from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, of iron, of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Sounds a little bit like Acts 17 right there. Belshazzar didn't learn from his father, King Nebuchadnezzar, and his experiences. He thought he was different. He was told he would become king, and he did. And he was told that he would become great, and he was. And he had chosen to believe in his own hype his own reputation, all the things that his people around him were telling him. He should have known. He should have seen it. But I think this is an honest mistake, honestly, on Belshazzar's part because this is what empire does to us. It makes us comfortable. Until we're comfortable, until we become guilty of thinking of no one but ourselves. Which, if you remember, was the thing that Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar was his sin, was that he only cared about himself and he neglected the poor and the less less fortunate and the oppressed. Because that's what empire does to us and it's what empire did to Belshazzar. We become guilty of thinking of no one but ourselves until we, we think of no life but our own. Even though, right, there's history about what happens to people that follow down a certain path and live for the world and live for themselves, a world that is broken and corrupted by sin and death. Belshazzar ignores all that history. And so Daniel gives Belshazzar a little history refresher, reminds him about what happened to his father, and then he interprets this this message. This is the moment Belshazzar has been waiting for. He just wants to know what the writing on the wall means. Daniel says, these, these are the words that are written on the wall. Mene, mene, tekel, perez. Mene, mene, tekel, perez. These are the words that were written on the wall during the party. And it isn't good news for the king. This is what the writing on the wall means. It's essentially saying numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided. Mene, God has numbered your days the days of your reign, and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians, two other nations. For Belshazzar, you can literally say the writing is on the wall. You ever heard that phrase used? Ever heard people say, referring to someone who's in a situation that 
doesn't look like it's going to turn out well. The writing is on the wall. That, that phrase actually literally comes from this story. Used when someone, something is about to happen, someone, and it isn't good news. A lot of times it happens in sports. There are a few coaches from yesterday's college football world for whom the writing might be on the wall. And for the last king of Babylon, the writing is on the wall. His kingdom, the mighty and powerful Babylon, is coming to an end. And this is the story of history, for friends. Because that's what happens. Empires come, and then they get arrogant and mighty and proud, and then empires go. And this is what happens. Listen to the end of Daniel chapter 5 and verse 29. Then at Belshazzar's command, right after Daniel tells him what the words mean, numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided, Belshazzar, because I don't think he still believes it, clothes Daniel in purple, puts a gold chain around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But then there's this next verse. That very night, remember Persia's outside the gates, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. And by the time we get to Daniel chapter 6, King Darius is in charge. King Darius will be the, the figure that puts Daniel in the lion's den, which will be the story we look at next week. The chapter ends with Belshazzar saying, clothe this man in purple, give him a gold chain, now promote him to the third highest ruler, but then his life ends. Babylon is defeated. What does Daniel chapter 5 have to say to us this morning? There are a variety of things I think that could be said. The first I would just say is that we need to learn from history about what pride and arrogance does to the human heart. The ways that it blinds us and causes us to neglect other people, which God, through Christ, will say later in the New Testament when Jesus comes to earth, there are two commands, to love God and love neighbor. And they are both equally important. The way you love God is by loving neighbor. And arrogance and pride affect our ability to do that and to live into that command. But I also want to say from this chapter that I I want to acknowledge something about Daniel. I think living a life of faithfulness takes courage. When Belshazzar tries to pay Daniel off, that line I read at the beginning of verse 17, he says, you can keep your gifts for yourself. He can't be bought is what he's saying essentially, right? I'm not going to tell you what you want me to, what you want to hear just because you give me some nice gift. And I want you to hear me say this this morning, church, that courage is not something that just people of a certain age do. It's not a certain kind of person. It's not something just young people do. It can be, but it isn't only for one particular age group. Courage is something that you choose for a lifetime to have. Courage is, courage, what courage is, is doing something that might be hard, that might be scary, that might be painful, 
And the question that I think Daniel 5 asks us is, will you be brave? Will you, will you be courageous? Will you stand up for what is right? Will you speak up about what is wrong in our world? And I think this is one of the questions that Daniel 5 is asking us is, will you have courage? Will I have courage? I mentioned earlier that the book of Daniel is not a play-by-play account of Daniel's life. The chapters really skip, so it's more like a TV show, like episodes. Each chapter is more like an episode, so you can kind of pick up and, and you, know, you can know a little bit about the backstory, but it's okay if you don't know the entire thing. And when you get to Daniel chapter 5, you get to kind of peek into another part of Daniel's world. But all these chapters are kind of the highlights. We don't know every single moment that Daniel lived his life. These are the big moments. And this matters because what all we see, really think about this, all you're getting in the book of Daniel are the highlight, the big moments in Daniel's life. You don't see all the, de- the mundane, ordinary days. That, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't make a good book. You wouldn't read it. And so we have these snapshots of his life. And and I'm telling you this, why this matters is because of this. By the time you get to Daniel chapter 5, Daniel is older. Remember, he got carried off from Jerusalem into Babylon. Maybe some people think maybe he was 14. By the time we get to Daniel chapter 5, he's in his late 50s, early 60s. And next week, when we jump another chapter and he gets thrown into the lion's den, he's going to be even older. Some people think he was around 70. So all you're getting are these moments, right? These significant moments of his life. Why is it important? Why am I pointing out the stage of life that Daniel is currently living in in Daniel chapter 5? This is why. Because I want it to set in with us this morning. That Daniel has courage to speak to power as an older man, and he also had it as a younger man. He has courage to continue to be faithful. He isn't retiring from service in the kingdom of God. He's not like, I already helped your father. I'm not going to help you. A couple of weeks ago, when we looked at the story of Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and their, their decision to not bow down to this gold statue that Nebuchadnezzar had built, even though everybody else was bowing down. I asked you on that day to, to consider idols in your life, to spend some time, and I, I know that some of you did spend some time during that week following that sermon, thinking about and reflecting on what are the things that I can't get enough of, which is the way I talked about and described idols. The way you know you have an idol is something you can't get enough of that isn't God. And it was really encouraging to hear some of the stories about some of you that did that that work of sitting with the Lord in some silent reflection and thinking about some ways that some idols do exist in your life. And so a couple of weeks ago, I asked you to think about the idols that you worshipped. But today, I want to ask you a different question. Because I asked you to give those things up. But today, I want to ask you a different question. In what areas of life are you ready to quit? In what areas of life are you ready to be done? You're tired. You're weary. You're exhausted. And you're not sure if you can keep going. 
And this sermon may not apply to each and every one of us, and that's okay because not every sermon applies to all of us. That's why you've got to come back next week and the week after that. The question is, will you keep going in those areas of life where you're ready to quit? Maybe it's quit on God, quit on church, quit on a relationship, quit at your job, quit with somebody in your family. I don't know what it is, right? But it's something, I'm talking about something that you, it would be better if you did not quit it. But you're tired and weary and wondering. Serving someone else in your family, in your life that is in need of some particular thing. If you're older, the question that I want to ask you this morning, and I'm not defining older, so you get to define that for yourself. Will you continue to be a son and daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords while living in Babylon? If you're younger, will you continue to be faithful into your 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s? And if you choose this, if we choose this, our lives will look different. Right? And not every moment is going to be a Daniel in the lion's den or a not bowing before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar builds or these kind of moments where you get called in to do something dramatic and interpret this message on the wall. Those are the glorious kind of big moments. We all have really big moments in our life, kind of significant things, but most of our lives are lived in the sort of ordinary day-to-day or operation that we get. We go to work, you get up, you go to school, you, you spend time with people that are close to you, that you care about, you, you serve, you're, you live in community with people, you mow your yard, you plant a guard. Like, it's just, that's the most of life, right? Most of life isn't big and dramatic and doing something extra special that everybody sees, that you get lots of public praise and, and recognition for. Well, you keep going. For years, think about this, for decades, Daniel has been just finding a way to live in the empire without selling his soul to the empire. He's been plugging along, doing what Jeremiah told him and the other Israelites to do. Seek the peace and the the welfare of the city. Build a home and plant a garden. Still making it a point... Still making a point while he's doing that, making a life for himself in this nation that is not his home, making a point to be faithful. And I think one of the reasons that Daniel's story is in Scripture is that because we need examples. We need examples of what it looks like when we get tired. And we need examples of people who were faithful when they were 14 and when they were 20 and when they were 30 and they were 40 and they were 50 and they were 60 and they were 70. And then maybe in their 70s they're getting tested with some really significant thing like being thrown into a lion's den and they still remain faithful into their 80s and 90s. And what I know is that this particular empire, the one we're living in, will attempt to make you comfortable and me comfortable and lazy. It will lull us into mostly only thinking about ourselves and our lives and our stuff and our agendas and our priorities. But Jesus said the greatest command, which is like the first, is to love your neighbor as yourself, which means paying attention to your neighbors, which we can't do if we're only thinking about ourselves. Thinking about them, giving yourself for them, I said in week one of this series that I believe that the book of Daniel is in large part about knowing who you are. What are you going to be when everyone else tries to tell you who you're going to be? 
We get the highlights and the snapshots of Daniel's life, but just all along steadily, faithfully, there he is living for God, loving neighbor, loving God the entire time. It's possible that 25 years has passed from the end of Daniel chapter 4 to the beginning of Daniel chapter 5. And we don't know anything that happened during these ordinary mundane years. But what we know is when Daniel shows back up in Daniel 5, there he is, faithful as before, same old Daniel, still going. You know, one of the reasons that I love church is the last thing I'm going to say, and then we're going to be done. One of the reasons that I love churches, just generally, this church and other churches that I've been around and been a part of, is because churches are made up of Daniels. I want you to think about this. If you If you've lived in a lot of different places, you've experienced this. Even if you've mostly only lived here, you've probably experienced this to some degree. But think about the fact that in churches around the world, all those people that are a part of the kingdom of God, right? there are people's names that you do not know and that you'll never know, but who are just faithfully, daily, living in the ordinary lives that they live, being committed to God, loving God, and loving their neighbor. And those churches are growing and strong and thriving and ministering to the needs of their communities. They are seeking the peace and prosperity of those towns. Our particular place to seek the the peace and prosperity for is in Kaufman County. Because this is the place that God has appointed that we be at this particular time in history. And these are the people that God has put us with to do that very thing. Churches are made up of Daniels. People that have chosen to grow where they are planted. People that have loved and served and invested in the communities that they are part of. A lot of times, if people don't know, if I'm meeting someone for the first time in our community and they don't know who I am or I haven't met them before and they learn that I'm a minister here at Kaufman Church of Christ, one question that I often get is, is that where Sunshine School is? Which is because Sunshine School is our biggest ministry in our community and it's made an impact for 40 plus years in the lives of lots and lots of people. And I love when that happens. But what I really love, and this happens too, is when someone looks at me and says to me, is that where Johnny and Polly Adams go to church? Is that where Monty Roberts goes to church? Is that where Coach Burleson goes to church? Is that where Cheryl Johnson goes to church? And that's happened with all those people and lots of you too, right? Because what that says is, I've seen their life, and I knew there was something about it. And I didn't, they didn't say it directly to me, but what, I, what they saw was you being a Daniel, you just waking up every day and going to work and loving people and making a difference in your community, making a difference in the life of people that you serve. People who have sought the good of their city, invested in people, worked hard, served the church, helped others, spoken truth maybe to power or just spoken to truth to people who needed it. You and I are here for a reason. That's what I want us to take from Daniel chapter 5. And that reason is to bring glory and honor to God, to love the people that have been placed in our path, to continue to be faithful with every passing day, every passing year, every generation that comes, so that when we are all in our later years of life, that we can still 
be found faithful. And if you are already in your later years of life, then the word for you is still be faithful. It doesn't come to an end. Serving the kingdom doesn't come to an end. Loving people doesn't come to an end. You've never arrived. Nobody has ever arrived in the kingdom of God. There's always more growth to do. Not more to do necessarily, but more depth to pursue. There's always more of God that we can know about. And so that's our challenge. That's our call. To be courageous. To not quit. And to keep going. You are a Daniel. You're living a life just like Daniel lived. He is not extra special or ordinary, uh, extraordinary. He is just like you and just like me. And so may today, may this coming week, we live into the truth of that. May we believe that we are as capable as him at doing what he did. Let's stand together. We're going to s- conclude this morning by saying the Lord's Prayer together. And then I will turn it back over to Chris and the worship team to lead us in another song. Let's say these words together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.